Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Let's pray together. Father, help us tonight. God, as we again just get into Your Word, what You've said for us, God, I pray You'll help every single one of us here from the youngest to the oldest, from the person that's been following You the longest amount of time to the one who's newest. God, we all of us want to grow. We all want to see You increase Your impact in our life and through our life. So I pray You'll help us in every way. In Jesus' Name, Amen. We started a series this morning on family. And I started off by saying, by the way, and that'll be up on the YouTube channel or the podcast, but I started off by saying that in this church, there's such a diverse bunch of people. We've got everyone from, you know, married with kids, married, no kids, uh, married, you know, and now not married anymore and uh, grandparents and from a great family, from a family I'd rather not discuss, all kinds of backgrounds, but when we're speaking about family, understand that God says that He's created a family. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15 says, From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. God is into family. He's not interested in just getting a bunch of adherents, a bunch of followers, a bunch of believers. God is interested in people and families. And so I want you to understand that because so many people, I was talking to someone after the service this morning, who I think is perhaps, you know, kind of grown up with the idea that God is this great heavenly judge who sits back waiting to get you and is so demanding. And I go, well, actually God loves people and God cares about humanity and the human race. So it's a family that He gets us to be a part of. Psalm 68 verse 6, don't worry, the Scriptures will be up there if you want to follow them along. It says this, God puts the solitary in families. And I know you'll want to know this, that the word solitary there, because I looked it up, uh, the word solitary literally means darlings. It doesn't mean some random lonely bunch that God looks at and goes, oh, well, better put them somewhere. That's not the way He thinks about you. He says God puts His darlings into families. In other words, He's looking at you and counting you as someone special and someone precious. And He says, I'm going to make sure you get connected. I'm going to make you a part of something. That we're a family that happens to carry our Heavenly Father's image and our Heavenly Father's name over our life. You know, whenever we do what we call a baby dedication, we don't christen babies here. We think that uh, uh, that is something parents do. We dedicate them. So we join in praying over that child. And uh, whenever we do that in one of our services, we did it, I think, last Sunday. And I think there's another one next Sunday. Um, I'm reminded that of all the great things parents can and ought to do for kids, in other words, all the stuff you can buy them, all the protection, all the housing, all the education, all the clothes, all the rest of that stuff, there is one thing that parents cannot give their child. And that simply is parents can't give their child destiny. Parents can't give that uniqueness of who you are, what you are designed to do. A parent can't give it to you. It only comes from God. Haven't you ever wondered why you are not your mother and father? 
You might carry their DNA and you might be like them. In so many ways, we've all played the game when someone has a baby and we go, oh, look, he's got his father's whatever, his father's nose, his father's ears. Oh, look at that. He looks at his mother's smile. And we all do that stuff. But the reality is that every single one of us, as we grow, we are not our mum. And we are not our dad. We are unique. There's something special and different about you. I love this verse in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2. It says this, listen to it now. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's the honour of kings to search it out. And that means this, that God has hidden some things in your life. I thought of calling this message, you know, hidden things because there's some stuff that's hidden inside of you. Uh, And, uh, you know, every single one of us will have some kind of a tale where your mum and your dad got shocked because they never knew that you had that in you. They didn't realise you had that talent. They never realised that you were capable of that. They didn't know that was a dream of your life. There was something hidden in you. And somehow or other, God put that in there even when no one else knew it. No one else had any idea that that was something. I know I'm talking to people tonight who understand exactly what I'm saying. You wanted to sing and to be on a stage and write songs and no one else in your family's ever done it. You don't come from a musical family or whatever. Maybe it's in business and no one in your family's ever done anything but have a safe job. And there you are wanting to risk and put it out there. And, uh, you know, who put that there? Well, I believe God puts stuff like that inside of us. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the honour of kings and we are kings and priests before God, we're told in Revelation. So it's our job to search it out. That's why in this church, we spend a lot of time trying to help people discover what is it about you that's unique to you. Church is not cookie cutter. Church is not everyone look the same, dress the same, be the same. Everyone's got the same gifts. No, you are different to everybody else on planet Earth. And there's a reason why you're different. There's a reason why you are good at what you do. Your destiny equals your uniqueness. And God's hidden that inside of you. It's your honour and your privilege to go on the discovery journey of looking for it. A couple of years ago, a friend and I, we went gold prospecting out in the wilds, way past Kalgoorlie, drove out in the scrub and we camped out there and, you know, 85 million flies were living where we were. Uh, You know, literally they were just like, you couldn't see what colour your shirt was. It was black from flies. And uh, we're out there looking for gold. We'd hired a gold prospecting metal detector and they make it sound like any fool can find gold. Well, I found horseshoes, cigarette papers, bullet casings, a spark plug. I found an old file some working team had left behind. Matter of fact, I found everything metal you can think of apart from gold. I was half tempted to drop my wedding ring on the ground and see if I could even find that again. Just couldn't find anything. But we went and we spent three days. We'd get up at dawn and every day we, would, we marched a grid pattern up and back, up and back, up and back. We argued with one another that the other person had no idea what they were doing. 
and uh, that we need to get it right. I think I found the most rubbish of the two of us. But anyway, that's beside the point. And we went on this discovery journey. God wants you to go, listen to me on a discovery journey. Never think, well, who cares? Well, you know, really, I'm just one of six billion human beings on the planet. Oh, no, you're not. Not to God. He personally picked out a destiny for you and put it inside of your life. And so I want to encourage you, go on that journey. But it's, it's in family, really, that we first begin to discover difference. Ask any parent of more than one child. Uh, I've got three kids and, you know, uh, there's a reason why they're five years apart. Uh, and it wasn't anything biological. It was more to do with, my God, are you kidding me? Like, hello, no one told me it was like this. Uh, I mean, the first one, she never slept through the night until she was four. Mercy. The second one, well, let's just say it's his birthday today and I love him intensely and he's one of the nicest people and one of the most placid people in the world. But he sure wasn't placid when he was born. Lord have mercy. That was the kid who was energetic. Everything was high energy and go for it and all the rest of that. I, I sometimes used to say, you know, pardon me, Nathan, if you're listening to this, but sometimes I used to say if we'd had him first, there would have only been one child. Uh, I love him to bits, but my goodness, he was a lot of work. I remember once Sunday night after at the end of church, he was running around. We told him not to run around. He ran right into a steel girder. Just put his head over right in the front. And so he's only a couple of years old. We took him up to uh, the hospital and sat there for hours with this little kid. And all he can say while he's lying there is, things like this shouldn't happen to a boy as young as me. <laughs> We're going, who do we tell not to run around? You might be like your mum. You might be like your dad. Maybe you've got an older brother, older sister, and maybe you're unfortunately being compared all the time. Let me tell you something. You are unique and you're special. And family is usually where we start discovering it. We start the journey of discovering our destiny in family. Let's go to the first family there ever was. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Read this. This is the first family of history. Here they are. Adam slept with Eve, his wife. She conceived and had Cain. She said, I've gotten a man with God's help. Then she had another baby, Abel. Abel was a herdsman. Cain was a farmer. Time passed. Cain brought an offering to God from the produce of his farm. Abel also brought an offering, but from the firstborn animals of his herd choice cuts of meat. God liked Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering didn't get God's approval. Cain lost his temper and went into a sulk. God spoke to Cain. Why this tantrum? Why the sulking? If you do well or do what's right, won't you be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin's lying in wait for you, ready to pounce. It's out to get you. You've got to master it. Cain had words with his brother. They were out in the field. Cain came at Abel, his brother, and killed him. And you go, whoa. Can you believe how quickly dysfunctional the human race can get from the Garden of Eden to the first son killing the next one. How amazing is that? But it's a family that was experiencing or seeing uniqueness being discovered and handled badly. So I want to talk to you quickly tonight about the right way to handle your uniqueness and the wrong way. 
and how family is the place and church is a family. How do I discover my uniqueness in a right way? Because it says here, Cain's a tiller of the ground or a farmer and Abel's a keeper of the sheep. And I go, well, who cares? Who cares how different you are? I've got a brother of mine. Well, I've got three brothers and uh, we are nothing alike. My youngest brother is a high school teacher and he's started his master's degree in it and he loves it. Can I tell you my worst nightmare would have to be every day, pardon me if you're a high school teacher, but teaching grade eights, I think I would be just like, hello. I don't, I'm not sure, pretty sure I wouldn't have lost. He loves that thing. My next brother up is a bank manager. Now, anyone that knows me understands that, well, sitting on a desk, adding up numbers and finding the one that didn't work or whatever really isn't my style either. My next brother up from that is an engineer and he loves that whole stuff. Sits there pondering the questions of physics. I'll ponder them, but I want someone else to fix them. And we're different. We're not the same. We might have the same mother. We might have the same father. We might have the same DNA. But Cain and Abel, instead of Cain going, you know what? I understand the theology. I understand why God wanted an animal for an offering. And there's a whole lot of reason in the Old Testament for that, which I don't have time to go into. But instead of of Cain going, you know what? I get this, but gee, aren't I really good at raising vegetables? Aren't I really great at farming uh, plants? Aren't I so good at that? So you know what? I'm going to just go to Abel and say, how about I give you six bunches of bananas, you give me a lamb, because I want to go worship God with my offering. And I don't think fruit's going to do it. So I'm off there to do that. But instead of Cain going that way, watch this, contrast, which is difference, contrast became comparison. Look what you can do. And I can't do that. And that level of comparison always leads to competition. Whenever you see people making those levels of comparison, I can tell you for sure, competition comes right after it. Here's the problem with competition. And I love sport, but here's the problem with competition. All of competition produces winners and losers. Are you with me here? You all here? Winners and losers. So when I go from contrast, which is difference, and then I go to comparison, well, like how come and why? And then I go from comparison to competition. I've just gone down the road of who's going to be the winner and who's going to be the big loser here. Competition in this case led to confrontation. And confrontation almost always leads to separation. Follow the track again with me for a minute. Contrast, that is difference. I'm different to you. When I go the wrong way, it leads to comparison. Comparison usually means I'm ranking you. Well, I'm not as good as them. Well, they're better than me at that. And there becomes this, instead of celebrating what I do have, how many people, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I know the Holy Spirit's been saying a lot to us about comparison because I think so many of us need to understand if I'm going to live a healthy life in this social media drenched age where even Instagram and 
uh, so many other social media sites are hiding the number of likes you get. And I, I read it to you a couple of weeks ago. They specifically are saying they're doing that for mental health reasons. Because even they recognise that mental health is impacted negatively by comparison. And so when even those guys who get so much money out of them, more times you run it, the more they like it. And even when they're saying, you know what, we recognise what we are creating here is damaging to people's emotional and, and mental life. When you see that, this thing starts to go on the downward track. And so uh, contrast leads to comparison. Comparison inevitably ends up at competition, winners and losers. When you get to that, they end up at confrontation. I've never lost a game in my life when I was playing sport regularly. Never lost a game where I don't want to say, well, who cares? Because you know what? If I didn't care, I wouldn't have been playing. Huh? I, people say, oh, you should be a good loser. I go, I don't know what that is. I know what a good winner is. And I don't mean that out of some, you know, who cares, we'll kill to get it. I don't mean that kind of silliness. But I mean, you play because you want to win, don't you? The last time, three people want to win. Rest of you, you don't give a rip. Uh, whatever I do, anyway. Uh, but that level of competition, that's fine on a basketball court or on, you know, some other sporting field. But when, the, listen to me, when that gets into your relationships and everything that you're doing becomes about, I've got to prove. Do you know how many husbands and wives I've known to have arguments that go along the line of, I've got to outscore you. I've got to prove that you have screwed up more than me. Come on, they don't go quiet on me because I'm saying it's so good. Huh? But I know how much that can happen in our lives. Spiritual lives, I've seen people get themselves all knotted up because their gift, their ministry was not getting as much airplay as somebody else's. I've had them come to me and go, you know, I, I, I need more recognition. I go, woo, hold on a second here. This, this is not a popularity contest. This is not a comparison field. We are going to complement, not compare. And so when we end up with uh, competition, well, it usually ends up in confrontation. Think of, come on, I'm not preaching this to give you some message about how to be nice in church. I'm preaching this for your family life and for your workplace. I'm preaching this for the people that you value in your life. And when you end up at confrontation, and you know, we're pretty good at masking that and we come out and we say it, but we say it in a kind of like a, well, you know, yeah, well, of course. And we subtly let them know. And confrontation. Well, the, the inevitable end of that is separation. The number of people that have walked out of relationships, walked out of jobs, walked out of churches, simply because they didn't handle contrast well. And what we've read here is that every single part of this happened in family. Family was the context. So if it can happen into that most biologically connected environment, you better be sure it can happen in any space you inhabit. It can go in anyone. Even after God warned him and said, don't go this way, it can only end badly. Think about it. Contrast is meant to go like this. Contrast or difference is meant not to go to comparison. It's meant to lead to complementation. I see that you have what I don't have. There's a whole lot of things I'm not good at. And I reckon part of being successful in life is figuring out what you're no good at. 
Can I, yeah, I could go around this room and point out so many people that are doing wonderful things in the life of this church and I would never want to do them. And even if I tried, I'd be no good at it. But you know what? I don't have to be in competition with you and you don't have to be in competition with me. I know people who say to me, if you ever make me speak, I'll, you know, I'll die on the spot. Well, I usually say to them, well, I'm not making you do it. Oh, that might be your space. But I'm looking, Colleen's sitting down the back there and uh, Colleen leads our kids' ministry. She just goes nuts for looking after other people's kids. Like seriously, you know, I've never heard of all the stuff. They had a pancake morning last Sunday morning, I think it was, 70 people turned up at 8.30. You know, I don't know about the rest of you. You may have noticed that people seem to struggle a bit in the 21st century getting to church on time. It's just a thought. I'm leaving that one to hang. But uh, you know what? 70 people turned up an hour early because her team said, how about we strengthen the connections? Let's do pancakes. So they put in pancakes for 70 people. Do you know how many pancakes that is? That's a heck of a lot of pancakes. And you've got to get ready. You've got to make all this stuff. And you've got to do it. And there she is going, wow, we love this. How cool is that? And so she does all of this stuff for kids. They're dreaming all these programs up and doing all these things. And I'm looking at her and going, thank God for you because I don't want to do it. I raised three. I don't want to raise any more. I told my daughter when she had her first child, made me a granddad. I said, here's the deal. It's your job to raise them. It's my job to spoil them. And so far, I've kept the job really, really well. Yesterday, I baked biscuits. You know why? Because they've just moved into a new house and I'm flying over there. I'll see them tomorrow. And so I've got a big pack of biscuits that I made for my grandkids. And you know, if they throw a little tanty or, you know, lose a bit of, you know, whatever, I just sit there and go, thank God that's not my world anymore. Amen. <laughs> Amen. It's just great it's theirs. I look around, I see people like that. See, contrast is meant to lead to complementation. Can we get this tonight? You have what I don't have. I have what you don't. Complementation, then when it's done right, leads to cooperation. We actually make it work. We make it work. Seriously, you do not want me to be up here playing any of these instruments. Not even the drums that I, I like to imagine I could play. You know, but I was looking at Ezra up there and I go, no, oh, heck, you know, you know your stuff. You know, he hits them in the right order. <laughs> Which probably wouldn't be what I'd be doing, you know. And, and when we get to cooperation, because of our different contributions, here's what happens out of that contrast this, it leads to greater success. And the whole becomes greater than the sum of the parts. Contrast leads to complementation. Complementation leads to cooperation. Cooperation because of our contribution leads to greater success in our life. Our different contributions bring something to pass. Listen, a healthy family celebrates difference. A healthy family difference leads to celebration. An unhealthy family difference leads to isolation. Well, anybody here ever heard the expression, they're the black sheep of the family? How many of you are the black sheep of your family? Come on, look at at this. Come on, hold them up a second. Come on, look at you all, you weirdos. Isn't it right? 
when you're the black sheep of the family, it's almost like, oh, yeah, whatever. That's just Tom. He's just, you know, the rest of us, we're pretty, you know, we're good. Not Tom. No, Tom's got to be weird. Was it Tom raised his hand or was it Colton? I didn't see which, which year yet. Colton, you were definitely not the black sheep of the family. You're totally the, you're, you're just the, the quiet yeshiva. Think about it. Tell me what you do with difference and I'll tell you whether you're going to end up in isolation, whether you're going to end up with some kind of separation or whether you're going to end up in greater success. And it'll all come out of how do you discern and how do you deal with difference, with contrast in your life. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9. It says two are better than one. But it doesn't just say because after all, it's nice when you've got a friend. It specifically is talking about our contributions. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their what? For their label, for their work. In other words, when it comes to what God wants to do with your life and the uniqueness of you, if you learn to celebrate your uniqueness, if you learn to say, you know what? I'm not everybody else. Not out of like, I'm going to show you how different I am. You know, when I was a young guy, I was going to show everyone how different I was. You know, and so I grew my hair down to my knees and all the, all the cool stuff. And it was a weird thing. I just looked like all the other people that were being rebellion. Uh, I just looked the same as all the rest of them. We're not talking about that kind of stuff. It's not talking about, well, I've got to be distinctive. I've got to look different or be different. No, you can just be you because you already are different and you already are unique. And maybe some of those ways are obvious to people. Maybe some of them aren't. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labour. And can I say this? Two are better than one no matter how good the one is. Are you with me here? So listen, God made you to be you. One last couple of verses for you. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4 because it says the same thing. This is not something that the Bible hid away. It's right through the Scripture that God says He's called you and you are different. You are unique. He made you like that. And He wants your uniqueness to serve His end goal, His purpose. This is what it says in verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same. Are you getting this? He's saying in all your difference, understand what it is that holds you together. He says, with all your difference, don't let your difference take you out of connection. Actually let it be something that enhances connection in your life. There are differences or diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. I'll never forget being at a conference a bunch of years ago when Dr. Yongi Cho, pastor of the world's largest church, I think it's 800,000 members. Well, every pastor in the world wants to be the pastor of 800,000 people. And I went to this pastor's conference and Dr. Paul Yongi Cho got up there and spoke about cell groups and how they were just the key to multiplication. And then at the end, he said, all those of you that are going to go back to your church and you are going to take this 
method and you are going to replicate it in there and it's going to happen like this. I want you to come forward. Well, you can just about get killed in the rush of all these pastors. It didn't matter where they were from. didn't matter what they were good at. They're all rushing down there to go, yes, I'm going to be that. Well, I remember looking at it. I've got to be honest. I wasn't one that went down the front. I thought, I don't know. You know, I want connection, but it doesn't always have to look the same. That's one of the reasons why so many of our connect groups are in different places, different times, and have got different emphases. And one in hope runs for half an hour. You know, and they've got, what do you call it, icebreakers. You know, games kind of stuff a bit. And you go, well, that's a bit. I thought we were supposed to be studying the Bible. I go, yeah, well, maybe some of the people we're reaching, the Bible's got to have a, a way of being spoken into them. Are you with me? Because listen, I know the pressures that come on even Christians to look like, be like, act like, and do like everybody else. I'm not talking about character or moral issues. I'm talking about, are you willing to let God show you what you are meant to be doing and become the expression of that? Amen? Hello? Come on. This, this church, we, we practice this. There's a whole lot of things we do. Maybe everybody else doesn't do them. And if I get up Monday morning and if, and if I go uh, surfing through Twitter or Instagram, you know, most likely I'm going to go, well, we didn't do that, but what about that? I go, you know what? We've got to get up and say, this is who God called us to be. This is who God calls us to be. He didn't call us to be some other church down the road. I thank God for them because their contrast doesn't diminish me. It actually enhances me. Amen. Some of you are looking at me a bit like, you haven't kind of got this at all yet, but that's all right. You'll, you'll get it. Listen to it a bit more. He says, there are diversity of activities, but the same God who works all in all, verse 7. Watch this. But the manifestation of the Spirit, the outworking, the expression of the Holy Spirit is given to each one, watch this, for the profit of everyone. Are you hearing this? God has given you something, but it's not for you to sit on like your, your little china thing that you take out of the cupboard and look at occasionally and polish and go, wow, isn't that amazing? You're actually meant to take whatever it is to be used and you're meant to take that thing out because it's given to you, but it's not for you. It's given to you, but it's not for you. Family is where we are meant to discover our difference, our uniqueness, and we went to, meant to grow. My wife has often said this to young parents because she runs a young mums program or whatever. And she's often said this out of the verse in Proverbs that says, train up a child in the way they should go and when they are old, they won't depart from it. And I've heard her several times say to people, it says train up the child in the way they should go, yeah. not the way you want them to go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not talking about do they honour God, love God? Are they honest? Do they you know, by themselves, other respectful. I'm not talking about those issues. I'm talking about what is it about them that's unique. Amen. What is it about you? Can I say to you that if God says you as an earthly parent, if you are one, I realise most of you aren't, but if He says to you, if that's the way you ought to raise a child, how do you think He, the Heavenly Father, treats you? He's not trying to make you look like everybody else. He wants you to come and say, you know what? I've got something that's unique to me. How do I become a blessing to everybody else with this? How do I find that way to do that? How do I discover that? Pastor Bruce, coming up here a minute. This is Bruce Grant's on staff here. And uh, this is Bruce Grant. 
Bruce is in charge and works with Fao Molipola, Fao Molipola, who's our Fao was preaching in our sister church in Margaret River today, so he's not here. But, um, but we run this whole program of equipped for ministry. And the whole idea was we're not, it's called equipped for ministry, not equipped for our church. The reason why it's called that is because we aren't trying to turn you into a good church member. We're trying to help you, release you. I don't know what your destiny is. Some people have come and been a part of our church and then have left and taken their gifts and their callings to somewhere else. Do you think I go, oh, that's disgusting. How dare they? Hate that? God, unfaithful. This, I don't think any of that rubbish. I go, thank God we got a chance to be a part of developing their uniqueness that God wants to take and use to become profitable for everybody else. Now, having said that, I'm not trying to empty the church. The devil does a pretty good job of that all of his own some days. But I'm saying this to you because I really want you to get this. I want you to go away going, instead of trying to become a different you, how about just trying to become a better you? Yes. Right? Instead of trying to become a different you. Well, yeah. So many people don't step out into their destiny because they spend all their time in comparison that leads, unfortunately, to competition. And they set themselves up as winners and losers and the only way they can win is if you lose. That's not a healthy space. So I wanted, Bruce, you to come up here because I wanted everyone to see you because I reckon there's some of you here going, you know what, I ought to go on that journey. We've just had EFM a couple of weeks ago and that's great. But you know what, EFM's not just a course you can go to. You can go and talk to Pastor Bruce anytime you want just grab a hold of him and go, would you help me? Because I really don't know what I'm on the planet for. But I'd like to discover it. And we're not going to give you a label and then tick that box and let you go away. We're going to go, let's help you work on that. And grow that. Thanks, Bruce. Just want everyone to see your handsome face. Give him a hand, yeah. Is this something I said? Just because I called you a weirdo for being the black sheep of the family. And there you go. Oh, now you're going as well. Oh, good. All right, see you later. So the way you are. It's okay if you're new here, they're just going around there to come back up here. It's okay. Someone said to me this morning, they said, that was a lot of fun. They were new. And I said, well, that's okay. We do this a lot. We're going to go to heaven. We aren't going to sit around singing sad songs. Amen. We're going to go to heaven and go, woohoo. Luke 15 says, when the Eldest son came in from the paddock where he'd been working. He got to the father's house and this is what it says. He heard the sound of music and of dancing. He goes, there's a party going on. Woo. Amen. I want to go to that part of heaven, don't you? I don't want to go over there where all the sour pussies that got baptised in vinegar are staying. You know, all the people over there just sucking on lemons and going, oh God, life's really hard and oh God, and it's terrible and oh God, I'm such a worm. I want to go over there where the people said, I used to be a worm and now I'm a butterfly. Yeah. Amen. I'm flying tonight, aren't I? Huh? Are you writing that down? You should write that down. Write that down. I used to be a worm. That's cold. That's cold. <laughs> Not too sure about that. Let your difference of destiny and design become your contribution to Christ's great commission to change the world. Amen. Well, I hope it helps you. It helps me anyhow because I don't know about the rest of the year. I find there's sometimes a lot of pressure can come around your life to somehow rather be like other people. A lot of pressure to compare. A lot of pressure to 
make a contrast in a competition. And I just don't want to live that kind of life. I want to be able to say, God, you made me to be me. And I'm excited about the me you made. Amen. I'm not perfect. I'm still under development. But God, I'm glad that you're with me. Come on, let's pray together. Bow your head with me a second. Heavenly Father, thank you for every person that's here. Lord, I thank you that your word tells us that when we discover Christ, we discover us. Not because we're one and the same, but Lord, somehow or other in walking with Jesus, we find out what we're meant to be on the planet for. Peter was a fisherman. And that's all he thought his life could ever be. Not that that would have been bad, but Lord, you came along and said, I think you could change the world. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of people to a man who'd done nothing ever, never spoken in public, no one ever asked his opinion. But there was something unique in him and you found it. And when he said yes to Jesus, he found out what he was really on the planet for. Matthew, the tax collector, the good accountant. But Jesus, when you said, come follow me, that man became somebody who wrote a gospel so full of detail that gives us so much we never would have known. Thank You, Lord, for all the different people You chose. You brought us together. So Father, I thank You for each person that's here. Just while heads and bad eyes are closed, I could not finish this service without giving You an opportunity in Your heart to say a simple yes to Jesus. I talked to a lady this morning. She said to me, do you mind me asking your question? I said, no, of course not. She said, I struggle with faith. I, I don't think I have any. I said, oh, you know, let me rephrase it for you. Would you like to put your trust in Jesus? Would you like to say yes to Him taking control, taking Lordship of your life? Not control in the sense that He makes you do stuff, but that He guides you and He leads you and He's in you. She looked at me and she smiled. She said, that sounds really good I don't know you all here and if you need to make the step tonight to say Jesus I'll trust you I'll just say a simple yes I don't know it all I haven't got all the answers but I could say yes I'd love to pray with you tonight right where you are people do this every service and no doubt tonight will be just the same if you're here and you need to say yes or maybe you used to walk with God and something threw your, your curved ball and now you're just on the sidelines you want to say yes to Jesus just while heads and bad eyes are closed, just so I know I'm praying for you. Right where you are, I will not embarrass you. I'm not here for that. I'd love to pray with you. I believe that tonight your life can be changed by saying yes to Jesus. I believe that. Simple saying yes to Jesus. Simple saying, you go, but Jeff, I've got all these questions. Good, why don't you let him in so he can help answer them? If that's you tonight, you'd like me to pray with you. Would you just slip your hand up, put it back down again so I can see it? I'd love, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else, wherever you are, you say, that's me. I'm going to pray for you. I won't embarrass you. That's not why I'm here. I want to help you. Is there anybody else just before we pray with those people or whoever else you say, Jeff, that's me tonight. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to tell Him I'm going to trust Him. I'm not promising Him I'm going to be perfect because you probably couldn't do that. But you could say yes. You could say yes. You could say yes. Is there anybody else? Just while I look, no pressure. That's not what this is about. It's an opportunity. Then we're going to pray together and you know those two people lift your hand wherever you are. Why, why don't you just make this prayer yours? Say this to Jesus after me. Lots of people are going to pray with you, but make it yours. Say this after me. Lord Jesus, thank You for dying for me because I matter to You. 
I need You in my life. I trust You, Lord. Thank You. Amen. Amen. You don't need to pray this, but Lord, I pray for each person. Lord, maybe the ones that are sitting back there going, oh, I almost did. Help them, Jesus. Help them to walk with You. Help them to say yes. Lord, You're after transformed lives, not just moments. Thank You for it. Amen. Amen. Would you give those people just a great big hand? Say, hey, that's pretty cool. I think it's uh, is it nearly a year ago we started Yes Text. Is that 18 months? How time flies when you're having fun. We started this here in this church because we wanted to help people be able to say yes to Jesus when they were ready to say yes to Jesus. So we started this and started out as just texting yes to that number 0488 Then we realised we were getting requests from people that were outside of Australia. So we thought we've got to put it on the web. So now it's at yes.metrochurch.org.au, wherever you are. And I've literally had people say to me, it's like God's talking to me every day when on one screen on their smartphone, they get a scripture and they get a prayer that they can pray to make theirs. And it just fits on there. And so they get the scripture and they read it. They get the prayer and they say it for themselves. It becomes their prayer. I've had several people say to me, it's like every day God's talking to me. I go, wow. I told this person this morning, I said, no one's going to ring you up. We don't get your number and then phone you up and go, come on. It's not about that. You get 30 days of just you and just Jesus. Every week we get people saying yes, every single week. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Grab one of these slips if you didn't get the phone number. They're outside of the Connect Hub. Grab one of those. Or they're on that whole rack, I noticed, out there this morning. You can grab one of those and take that without even talking to anyone if you want. That'd be great. All right? Fantastic. Well, I love Sunday Night Church and there's lots of good reasons why. I hope you do as well. Bring somebody along next time you come. You know, I was looking at Sebastiano down there. Come on up here a little minute quickly. Uh, We're going to have communion together in just a minute, but come on up here quickly. This guy here was uh, in the middle of, let's just say, a pretty topsy-turvy part of life. Things weren't going so well. And he put out on the WhatsApp for your study group, wasn't it? Some rather like that, uh, some group you were a part of at college. And you put out on there that you were in pretty dire straits and really wanted, uh, was there somebody there? And and the first week, no one responded to you. Second week, you get someone who you didn't really even know or you want to correct me just uh, I send a message just to find out someone to to go out I didn't say I was I was uh, was having a really terrible time you just want to connect with somebody thank you thank you for correcting me there so anyway the way it worked was uh, someone responded and he said well what are you doing and they said well I'm about to go to church he said, can I come? Yes, correct. And so he rocked up here to church. No idea, no thought about God, about I want to live my life like this, whatever. And then I remember watching you because one Sunday morning, a couple of Sundays after that, I watched you sitting with Pastor Bruce out the back out there. And all I could see is Pastor Bruce sitting there and you are bawling your little Italian eyes out and just weeping away. And Jesus came into his life, not because he wept, by the way, but... Yeah. But, and not everyone does, but in such a powerful way 
that transformed his life. Go talk to him later about saying, did Jesus, well, I'll just ask you now, Jesus make any difference to your life? Well, since I got saved. You got 30 seconds. Since I got saved is amazing each and every day. But I wanna, I wanna say it's not easy, but if you say yes every day, every morning, as I do, it's amazing. That's great. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, you're good on you, mate. Awesome. Lots of stories like that. Hey, listen, we're going to share communion together here. We did it this morning because this is the first Sunday of family. And I don't know of anything better than family getting together for food. And this table that Jesus prepared for each one of you and each one of us, we invite you, if you would like to, take a piece of the bread, take one of the cups, hold it, in a minute when everyone's served, we'll come and, and get you to stand and we'll honour the Lord. We'll share it together in, in remembering Jesus' sacrifice for our life. Please come team, begin to serve everybody. We're going to sing together again that song, you're playing it now. Mercy is falling because I, I know that God wants each one of us to really be able to say, you know what, I, I'm walking in God's mercy. I'm not, uh, I thank God. I said to someone standing here tonight, I can't remember who it was, before the service, I said, of all the things that I know about God, His patience is the greatest. People tell you about the love of God. I go, oh yeah, but you've got no idea how patient He is. Scripture says that He is long-suffering to us. We suffer long, but that's not the same. He's long-suffering. He keeps working with you. I know many of you here in this place, let this song speak to you. Take that. Never, never say I'm not going to take it because I'm not good enough at the moment. Take it anyway. Take it anyway. Don't let the devil talk you out of it. You take it. Say, Jesus, I'm not taking this because I'm perfect. I'm not taking it because I'm worthy. I'm taking it because you provided it for me. Come on, let's sing together this song quickly. Mercy's fallen. The greatest mercy in all of history was the Son of God on a cross. That both the civil authorities and the religious authorities said he was innocent of. Both of them. Significantly, both the high priest and the governor of the region said, I find no fault in this man. He didn't need to be there. He didn't do it because he deserved it. He did it because he wanted you and I 
to enter into eternal life. I've tried to explain. One day I'll see it and I'll know I'll be able to say it better. But what an incredible thing that Jesus will come into your life. What an incredible thing. All of us, Jesus' birth not only divides our history in BC and AD, it'll divide the history of your life. Well, that's the me I used to be. This is the me I'm becoming since Jesus came into my life. Can we stand together? Let's honour the Lord tonight. Father, we are so grateful, so grateful for all that You do. Lord, if You never did another thing, this would be so much. This would be enough that we get to have You in our life. We get to walk with You. You get to lead us. We get to listen to You. Thank You for that. Pray, Jesus, for each one of us. Do something in us so that you can do something great through us, we pray. Amen. Let's eat and drink together and be grateful to God.